Are you ready, ladies? Stand tall. Straighten those crowns and show them what you're made of. You're listening to the Farm Queen Podcast. Today's queen is Juliana, and we are very excited to have such a unique and passionate queen this week. She was nominated by our last queen, Erica, because she is not only passionate about her growing flock, and that's her sheep flock, uh, as well as her farm business, but she is deeply committed to sharing her passion and knowledge with other aspiring farmers, particularly farmers of color, which certainly is a unique uh, twist compared to some of our other queens. She is definitely working constantly to build relationships and collaborations to strengthen resources available to new farmers through the work she does day in and out. And I don't want to steal any more of her glory. So without further ado, Juliana, if you could please introduce yourself, tell us, um, you know, your name, your farm name, where you are kind of thing, what you do, how long you've been at it. I know you have a very unique history, so we would love to hear all about that. Hi, Roxanne. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And thank you, um, Erica, for the nomination. Um, yeah, so I'm Juliana Quaresma. I am from Brazil and I live in Ithaca, New York. Um, I started my own farm just a year and a half ago, but I have been working with farmers, small farmers specifically. A little over 10 years uh, when I started in Brazil working with the small farmers uh, implementing agroecology and agroforest systems. And um, I moved to the US, stayed in New York and now Ithaca. And I always had this dream of having my own farm. And um, while I couldn't have access to land, uh, it was like my first barrier, and that is the, one of the major barriers for a lot of beginning farmers. So I decided to lease land, and I'm leasing land in Trumansburg. And I have sheep and chickens, and they are Icelandic sheep. Um, now I have 20, and um, 16 of them are pregnant. Um, okay. so I'm very excited <laughs> to... The flock is growing. Um, Got some busy yeah. days ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really, um, it's awesome. I'm looking forward for that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, um, you know, it's not every day we come across small farmers in New York that are from Brazil. So could you, would you be willing to tell us a little bit, um, you know, what is it that got you from Brazil to here? What is it that got you to the Ithaca area specifically? It's certainly a distance to travel. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting. When I, when I was in Brazil, I, I never thought in my life that I would move to the United States or that I, that I would be in Ithaca. I've heard of Cornell. But <laughs> I, it was never like, oh, this is the dream of my life. But here I am, and I'm, I still find that I'm living my dream. <laughs> um, Very cool. 
Yeah, so I, like I said, I started working with small farmers in Brazil. My background, I I have a, a degree in veterinary medicine, and um, that's also what led me to work with small farmers in the beginning. One of the first projects was similar to what, like, the organization Heifer does in this country, like, you give... Um, like lambs or kid, like goat kids to a new farmer. And then they learn how to grow those animals and they receive like guidance on mm -hmm. how to take care. And that's what I did a little bit. I also um, just worked with technical assistance in general with them. And then I decided at some point to go to grad school. And uh, that's that was my bridge to come to the US. Um, opportunity came and um, I started grad school in Syracuse, New York. Uh, I went to um, SUNY ESF, um, the Environmental School of Forestry uh, and Environmental mm -hmm. Science, sorry. And um, I think being in the upstate New York region I enjoyed a lot and I liked Ithaca a lot when I went to visit a couple of times. And um, one of the things that stood out to me here, it was how vibrant and how um, connected the small farm community is in here. I like to say that I, I love to know that I know a lot of other farmers that I have different food options that I know where they come from and um I know the people who are caring for that food and that is definitely one of the inspirations that made me stay in Ithaca mm -hmm. and um and then I saw the opportunity of pursuing my my farm dream here too um yeah so that's my nutshell of <laughs> how like from Brazil to Ithaca and yeah I definitely um enjoyed the um, all the nature around here and the community connections and um those are important things to me yeah Ithaca is definitely a very uh focused on the food movement mm -hmm. kind of community that there is a lot more of the small foods and you know local foods kind of push in that area which is a very cool thing sounds like you're in exactly the right area so uh you mentioned that you have you had this dream of always owning your own farm but why I mean you're, you know we're obviously asking you as I'm a farmer you know, the whole team here is a farmer everyone we're interviewing is a farmer but we always love to know why is it that you dreamed of having a farm um, so, um, when I was little, I, I did grow up in a farm in the south of Brazil. Um, my father's side of the family, they were farmers. They, they, uh, took care of, uh, apple orchards and they have a very strong, um, self-sufficiency like homestead where they made their own bread, pasta, wine, butter, um, all the gems, all the food preservation, 
and there was this part of the farm that was really uh, about feeding the family and all the family work together in there and this other business aspect that was to bring income. And that was my first experience. And I didn't know that was going to shape up my life. Um, when I was 12 years old, I moved to the city. Um, my parents moved to the city and didn't stay in the farm. When college came, I, like I said, I went to veterinary school and I always had this love with animals. And um, through veterinary school, I started like, um, the part that I'm not so proud of, it's like learning about the industrial husbandry, husbandry process and like all the kind of astrocious, crazy way that some industrial animal farming can do. Mm -hmm. And that was shocking for me and to a point that I became vegetarian. And then when I started meeting those small farmers that I mentioned in the beginning, that they were practicing agroecology and agro pasture, I started learning um, how they could be healthy and healthy for the family, healthy for the soil, healthy for the ecosystem that they were producing. And um, until one day I heard from a farmer that the only income that they have was like they sold goat meat and they were so proud of serving goat for me one day and I said that I was vegetarian and then he told me well if everybody becomes vegetarian like you I'm not gonna have my income I have to change my business <laughs> and that really impacted me like well yeah the small families they need th this type of income as well and it's possible to grow it um healthy and have this respect and relationship this caring relationship with the animals and where with where our food come from so i i always got fascinated about that and um i i just noticed how i love to care for the animals and um when I moved to upstate New York and I started doing some farm seeding while going to grad school, I noticed how much joy, how much joy that brings to me. And um, just being in that space or caring for the animals. And I guess that's a little bit of like why farming. I noticed that it's grounding for me and it it's a very like interesting like it's a it's complex because it can give a lot of headache and you get exhausted sometimes but at the same time it's fulfilling it is like um rewarding right and it's definitely not about the money it's about a dream <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i think there's a lot of people listening as farmers that say yep she knows what she's talking about but yeah Mm -hmm. That is, that is absolutely a beautiful story that you shared though, about like how proud that that small farmer was to say, here, I raised this and, and to have that insight to say, you know, if you don't eat this, if people don't eat this, I have to change my whole business. And that's, that's just a great general point about small farms that I hope everybody hears. Yeah. Very, very cool. So now 
with this farm that you've started, you said mm-hmm. you started about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Now, you did mention, you mentioned that you obviously had the barrier and we all in New York know that land prices are getting out of control. And mm-hmm. so you said that you lease land. And so that's a really interesting take on it since, you know, I think probably comfortably 90 plus percent of people think, oh, if I want to start a farm, if I want to start a farm business, I have to buy the land. And then that's a huge cost commitment. You know, you're not necessarily going to have the money left over to actually build fences if needed, buy the livestock in the first place. And so you've obviously made the decision to not go for that huge investment up front so that you could have this, you know, 20 and counting sheep flock and and the poultry and everything. So what is it that you find to be um, advantageous about leasing land? Or what do you, and, and, or what do you find to be disadvantageous? That seems like a whole complicated kind of thing to have to navigate through. So could you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so definitely um, there are pros and cons as like a lot of things in life and a lot of, (laughs) yeah. So the reason that I haven't started my farm earlier, it was because I, I couldn't afford to do the down payment for a land and still stick to a mortgage um, mm-hmm. as a single woman farmer and working full time. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this system is not helping us. Um, it's a uphill <laughs> battle and I'm not going to jump in this and see myself not healthy and not um, productive. And I started with leasing because it was like the step that I could take forward like in a safe way even though I still took a lot of loans to buy the flock I currently live in a tiny house so I built a tiny house Mm -hmm. and um, it is on wheels and I was looking for land that I could have like a winter shelter for the animals or just a fenced Mm -hmm. area with woven wire that I installed and the pasture fence is done only with electrical netting. Basically, my whole infrastructure is movable. And I actually cool. started in one farm with a little under four acres. And then I'm moving to another farm that I will have 15 acres. I put a lot of thoughts in this whole plan. I knew that I was not going to have a barn. And I identify different types of like shelters that it could be building and it's movable structure. And mm-hmm. I choose the breed of sheep that is more like hardy as whatever mm-hmm. word it could be. Like Icelandics, yep. they, they tend to adapt really well to our climate here in um, upstate New York without having a lot of needs for like larger barn or something and I have planned my whole farm plan and operation around this infrastructure or this setup so I have been writing grants um, to get funding for like a a high tunnel so I could that's gonna be my next move up for a barn and um, so that is like Maybe the to answer your question, like back to it is like it is it can be difficult, 
not having a permanent structure and you have to be creative on mm-hmm. what infrastructure you're going to get that can be movable while you don't own the land. But things can be worked out. I think one ad- advantage is I love the idea of collaborating with other farmers so we can share um again we can help each other in the chores of the farm um mm. yeah so there That's is a, a cool another farmer that also lease land where i am and um we could help each other in our chores and uh, at least once a week like some activities that it's really difficult to do alone or impossible in my case, a kind of funny example is I started buying round bells, but I, mm-hmm. I don't have a tractor. <laughs> so I pretty much roll the round bell manually inside of the sheep pen once a week. And this friend would always help me. And um, also my my boyfriend as well. So definitely having this opportunity to lease a land and collaborate it's a plus the new farm that I'm going it's also a a great collaboration that we are working on Uh, this new farmer she is a orchard farmer and she will have trees Mm. and apples and pears and and the sheep is going to graze in between it Um, and she loves livestock in the combination also it's really good because there is no competition for the pasture and it's a mutualistic like farming business so we are very excited about it yeah there are a lot of goods that comes with leasing land and um i think can have a whole session about that pros and cons (laughs) honestly we could um yeah. But I, I love how you put that because I, I definitely was one that when we were buying our farm, it was, you know, save the money and buy the land and all of that. And we've seen the hurdle of, okay, now where's the money going to come from to to do the infrastructure and, and get the livestock and all of that. But the way you put that about it being an opportunity for collaboration, I think is just a very simply put way for people to look at it differently because I think so many people think about farming in terms of I have to own the land or else I'm not, you know, I don't know, I'm not really a farm maybe or something, but the idea of leasing the land because you're doing it as a mutual benefit for both parties is, is a really interesting idea. Like you said, with the sheep going under um, the orchard, that's going to certainly benefit the trees with the manure left behind. Mm-hmm. It's going to benefit your sheep because they've got plenty to eat. I'm sure they'll get a couple of fallen apple snacks now and then. Yeah. So that's a really great, uh, really great concept to think that, you know, that, that farm that you're leasing potentially doesn't need to worry about, you know, getting fertilizer for their orchard now because they've got livestock that they wouldn't have otherwise rotating under there. So it's a very plus cool the, concept. Plus the, the free, um, trimming of the grass that is going to be happening (laughs) (laughs) absolutely oh my gosh especially most most orchards have low trees and so getting under there is tough Mm -hmm. so all right so you've got the coolest background 
<laughs> Let's get into a little bit about you being actually Farm Queen. How did it feel to be honored as Farm Queen of the Week? <laughs> it is, uh, I was like, oh, that is so, so interesting. It's really cool that you were hosting this idea and like talking about all the different, like in- interviewing and meeting different women and I believe everybody has a very interesting background and we can learn a lot from each other and also inspire each mm-hmm. other a lot. That was my my first thought. Um, I definitely noticed like, oh, okay, like I guess I'm going to be the first uh, person of color to be interviewed and I wonder how many other people of color are going to be interviewed consider the demographics of farmers right. in New York State, right. you know? Um, exactly, yeah. So that was my first, my second thought too. And, um, but I'm happy to, to be part of it. And like, I thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the idea. Um, I believe that, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of uh, women out there working really hard, not just farming as a very difficult um, labor activity, but also the system with the oppressive system with some um, challenges for women in society that is important to have spaces like this that we can honor um, all the work that we are doing for the food system. Yeah, I agree with that. With the, the system is not exactly geared towards seeing women be top farmers. <laughs> Sounds like maybe that's hinting at your answer to the next question about um, some common maybe misconceptions that you've come across about women in farming. Yeah, I think for me, um, it's not just the women in farming, is uh, a woman of color with the accent in farming. It comes with mm-hmm. that package. I can say like sometimes like if I... In the beginning, when I didn't know a lot of sources in the community and I needed to find hay, for example, and I would start like cold calling some hay farmers to see if they have hay. Either if they hear my accent or when they see me, there was either like some shutdown or not interested or, um, oh, so where are you from? Or even even asking way more questions that I'm like, excuse me, I just need the hay. (laughs) yeah right do you want Um, to say hell or not yeah you know so what else of encounters um one of the things it drives me crazy sometimes like I understand that some equipment all the equipments there we hope that they are made like designed to last but they are also built mostly with body sizes for men and that mm-hmm. is one of the things that I hate it sometimes. And like trying to fix a, a walk behind tractor once a BCS and having the body strength to adjust and to move that thing is just like, oh my gosh. And yeah, I think like in the future it would be great if like machine brands and tools and so on, they are including also um the women body um and the strength um or sizes 
um, and not just one standard thing. Um, I think, yeah, that those are the things that's that come to one. mind, but yeah. That's a very good one. As far as um, farm customers, I guess I should first ask, do you sell your sheep, lamb, whatever format it might be? Do you have customers for your farm at this point? Yes, I do. Okay. So my okay. products are, um, my the farm model is to sell lamb meat and also fiber products. I have um, worked on, I have butchered some animals. I have actually sold out with meat and uh, I'm really uh, thankful for that. People really enjoyed and um, I was going to some like pop-up farmer's market throughout the summer and fall once a month or every other week and then word of mouth. And I had, uh, I used a USDA butcher. So I had like individual cuts in vacuum package. I am working on um, sorting my wool and uh, accumulating like two harvests so I can send it to a meal that I'm going to be making hats and socks spinning myself I'm going to be sending um to to the meal to get those products done and um another thing that I I I make is what is called felted pelt it looks like a a skin like a sheep skin or sheep pelt but it doesn't have the animal skin you you'll make that rug-like product, but just by felting the base of the wool. And Icelandic, uh, the breed Icelandic has like the wool sizes, like it's long staple, how it's called. So it makes it easier to do that. So I have made two and I'm in the process of organizing my, how my production, for that and it's another product that I will be selling as well that's very cool so if you had the chance to talk directly to your customers what is one thing you wish they knew about the life of a farm woman whether that's just as a farm woman in general or like you mentioned earlier specifically being a farm woman of color what is one thing you wish you could tell them I have this as a passion and a dream for me, and um, I am connected and devoted to work with like regenerative farming practices where there is, I care about the well-being of the animals and also the the soil and the plants around and biodiversity. Like one day I was moving fences and I saw how like all these birds were nesting uh, in the pasture Oreo, and my brain went automatically like oh how can I connect like bird uh, conservation with pasture conservation <laughs> my <laughs> mind goes towards all those things and uh, being a beginning farmer not just like me in general it's a it's very difficult and it takes a lot. I I haven't I didn't inherit land and I don't have um, family inheritance and it takes a lot of um, investment and getting loans and so on and keeping my full time job to um, to do this and 
and this is just the beginning like I'm not fully ready with all my products and with the farm I am it takes um it takes few years to develop and be in a better shape like with products demand and final products and um yeah I wish people could understand how challenging it is to start farming and there will be more support and advocacy for that as well it's a work that is so challenging and the payback unfortunately is not as it doesn't reproduce the amount of energy um but i do what i love for sure the green and all of that especially the payback part, it does not match the input <laughs> whatsoever. So I do want to take a minute um, before we move to the next question. And I want to ask you now one thing that we're forgetting to mention maybe, but that we want to maybe talk about in a couple of questions is that you are the executive director for the Groundswell organization. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that that specifically, um, since you do this work with this groundswell organization, specifically helping farmers of color, where did that motive come from? Is it just having lived kind of that life yourself? And, you know, like you said, when you came to New York and now you find yourself that you are one of those small farmers of color in, you know, a very uphill fight to get to be a small farmer, to get land, et cetera. Um, and so I think for people listening, they might be wondering, you know, it's it's becoming a more common kind of acronym, but just in case you work with BIPOC farmers. So tell us a little bit about that and and why you started pushing for, for kind of being the voice for this group. Yeah, so uh, for those who haven't heard, BIPOC is an acronym for Black, Indigenous, and um, People of Color. And... Um, Groundswell Center has been working with that or has centered to, uh, to work with this community because we are, um, I guess I can say like why myself, I dedicated my life with that because unfortunately there are a lot of inequalities in the food system, in the farm systems. Um, for example, in the last census of 2017, the agriculture census, like 3% of the farmers in this country are um, people of color. And That's it. Wow. So this is a big information data, like showing the disconnect of, unfortunately, there were very serious um, systemic structures that were removing people of color and black people, indigenous color from the land or having access to farm. Um, mm -hmm. For a long time, I mean, we know like food is the base of, for a lot of people for that we need, everybody needs food. And right. we were not, a lot of people of color have been uh, suffering um, from discrimination, from getting access to loans with 
the federal government uh, over years and um, they didn't have the opportunity to get access to technical assistance or training. Um, so it is a, a sad story and important one of why we try to center people of color uh, to have access to farming and learn how to farm and have access to land. If I remember correctly, I think 1% of landowners are people of color in this country. Um, That's staggering. Yes. So when people look around in rural areas, where did the Black people go? Where did the other people of color go, you know? You see this segregation and they haven't been have access to that and not just the work of Groundswell Center, but a lot of organizations, we are working together to uh, change the situation and um, uplift and uh, support people of color. I always had this call in life of connecting with the land and working for justice and advocacy to change oppressive structures. And um, I find that because of this passion I have with farm and the passion that I have also with working sustainably with the land, I couldn't leave it outside of also looking at the inequality of the uh, racial inequality, uh, the racial problems in the food system. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's why I do what I do. I had to ask you that so that people could really hear the passion because when we found out that you were going to be our queen this week, we were certainly very, very interested in, wow, this woman is literally devoting her time during the day to, you know, helping these small farmers get going and you're still growing your own farm at the same time. And you're, you are a very clear example of uh, I guess the kind of person to say, I'm going to make this happen. And, you know, no matter what it takes from what you talked about with, um, you know, finding the land to lease and writing grants, um, proposals to get, you know, funding for what you need to do. And you certainly don't sound like somebody who has a whole lot of downtime. And so <laughs> given that you are, <laughs> you are a very busy woman, you are on the go, you pour your heart and your soul into everything you do from the sound of it. What is it? that inspires you even on those toughest days what is it that keeps you going um I do need to invest in like self-care take care of myself I um it it's definitely draining um I find also that I have a great community of friends and people that I can count on that I can talk about and that this is not just me. Um, I have um, a great community system, I believe. It helps also that the love for farming um, is cathartic <laughs> somehow. Mm -hmm. So when I when I get into the sheep pen and I just um, hang out with them or talk to them or 
they come and and then I have like six sheep around me that they just wanted to be petted just or then I, I mm-hmm. hug a chicken and then I snuggle with a chicken and I laugh. <laughs> I laugh when I see, when I open them into the pasture and they're all frolicking with hooves in the air. It's the cutest thing. So definitely those are things that they make your heart smile and um, it helps to keep on doing the work and um doing some meditation doing some positive affirmations <laughs> uh therapy <laughs> definitely definitely that one part yep. of the package <laughs> i hear that yep that's a really unique i think spot for you to be in that you get to see exactly what it is you're fighting to let other people see when they wake up in the morning and that's a very very cool angle for it yeah so so I think um it's it's pretty clear there are going to be some listeners who hopefully want to follow you along and see how your farm grows over time see how your work is going so where is the best place for people to find you and follow like on social or or your farm website or what would be best um I have mainly used Instagram now and it's viva underscore acres and um be honest I haven't created Facebook account yet <laughs> and uh, the website is um vivaacres.com um and I am also working on the website it has been a year and a half that um I took care of setting up the farm operation and my priority has been also now organizing the marketing and the image. I have a new logo that is being work, um, the designer is working on. So I ask people to mm-hmm. stick to Instagram for now and <laughs> <laughs> uploading the new um, avenues through Instagram. Um, yeah, so Viva underscore acres and uh, vivaacres.com that's I think it's always a work in progress to be working on socials and websites and organizing and marketing and all of that so excuse our dust I guess as we always are working on something right (laughs) yeah maybe the the team of the the podcast can help with some marketing too well I mean that's part of why we want you on here we want people to know that you're out there and you're doing what you're doing and You know, I mean, that's the cool part about this effort is that we're not out there picking and choosing people who need to be, you know, showcased on this interview. It's it's one of your peers just out there, literally out there in the field (laughs) next door Mm -hmm. to you almost that, you know, every queen picks whoever comes next. So, yeah, yeah. The goal is definitely to just have people be better able to see the women that are out there and working hard every day and, you know, putting food on the table in more ways than one, we'll say. So do you have any last uh, words of inspiration or words of encouragement or anything like that for anybody listening? Um, I have seen a lot of people interested in connecting to the land and um, a lot of people interested in start farming 
And I just want to put out there that everybody can pursue the dream and um, there are different avenues and opportunities. Um, we also should keep an eye on like as communities or as citizens and like advocating for um, land access for um, people of color, but also mm -hmm. advocating for agricultural like land conservation. Uh, so all the farms that we currently have, they are not just transformed into um, other types of business or they lose their agricultural aspect. People can connect with their community, with their local representatives, with organizations that they are working with this topic. That is very important to organize and advocate and support small farmers and also support um, beginning farmers and farmers of color. Um, if we don't keep helping each other and advocating for um, our food system, we are gonna be depending more and more of food from out there that we don't know if necessarily is healthy or um, where it comes from. And it is important for us as a role, like even if people, they don't wanna be a farm, a farmer, it is okay. Uh, not everybody needs to be, but think of your representatives and um, all the policies related to where your food come from and support those organizations and those small farmers as well. I guess that's the message. <laughs> oh, very well said. Thank you so much for doing this today. This was such oh. a great interview. Oh, welcome. I'm so thankful for the opportunity and I'll be listening to the next ones. And um, thank you for the work you do as well. Awesome. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support our podcast by clicking the link in the description, by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, and by following us on your favorite social media platform. 